Hello listeners, hope you've had a great break over the summer and are excited for the new season to start. I know that we are here at the Perth Football Podcast. Well, to tie you over until our pre-season predictions, uh, we have another installment of our Casual Football Chats episodes for you, brought to you by the good people at the Casual Football Company. This episode is a conversation that I, Kalicho Sunwa, had with Gordon Dewis, where we talk about his love of football, how it originated, and some of the work that he's been part of here in Perth as a football administrator. Now, some of you may know Gordon, and a lot of you listening would have never have heard of him or even thought that someone like him existed or functioned in an administrative capacity here in the community. But for a lot of people and for some in the community, he is a shining beacon of inclusion and a very important pillar of the football community here in Perth. Our conversation goes in many different directions, but his focus his care and his dedication to football here in Perth is precise and honestly, if we had more people like Gordon involved in football here in WA, it would be in incredible hands. With that said, listeners, here is Gordon Dewis. Football Podcast. I'm Kalicho Sunwe and we are here for another edition of our casual as our casual football chats. That's the name of this one, the casual football chats. I am joined by Gordon, not quite Lewis with a D, but Dewis. Gordon Dewis. We wanted to get together and talk about football, community, and passion, um, and kind of see where the conversation takes us. But Gordon, first and foremost, how are you keeping? How are you going? How are you feeling? Spot on for the pronunciation, Cal. <laughs> so, always nervous coming into a chat like this. Uh, you never know what someone on the other end is going to ask you or say. Working on Football West for so many years, you know yep. that there's always an agenda behind someone phoning up or <laughs> arranging to chat with you or organising a meeting. Um, but well, there is, an, there is an agenda here, but it's a good agenda. And, yeah. and you'll understand that because I've come all the way to your neck of the woods. We're in, uh, in, in your court here. So hopefully you can understand that there's a good agenda nonetheless. Sunny, hot, well in Ellenbrook. Uh, love it. But the... Um, I suppose the stories that I have from so many years in football and around the community uh, just cannot be summarized in any kind of short chat. So I'm happy to cover areas where you think there's some, I suppose, angles. Yep. Maybe there'll be a book out there someday or maybe I can participate in someone else's book because there's so much out there I've seen and enjoyed. And yeah, so many different perspectives on it. And anyone who recognizes my name will probably know that I've been around, involved in football and Support and community for well over twenty years. So. Yeah, and and that's that's the cool thing about this is as much as you've been around for twenty years and you'll understand that within football and within communities there are pockets of communities so I have no doubt that there'll be people who are listening to this who have never ever heard of you and this is going to be an absolute treat for them but before we get into all of the community stuff and the football stuff and and what you're doing most most now and likely well most and what you're doing most recently, I think is a, is a better way of saying that. Um, 
talk to us about football. Like, what was your first kind of memory of, of football and getting involved with football? Football was, as a kid for me, a release. At school we had some amazing talented youngsters and very early on I discovered the power of football in the most unconventional way. So two of the kids at our primary school, just over 100 children at any point in time, played for the Socceroos. Wow. And played for the young Socceroos as well, got professional contracts in Europe. Cousins Johnny and Tony Carboni. And it was an absolute disaster for the teachers and heads at the school because thousands of dollars have been spent on footy goals, cricket pitch, cricket nets, <laughs> playground, and everyone just ignored that stuff. They put down jumpers and school bags and <laughs> played through and beyond the bells at the end of recess and lunch and just enjoyed football. Um, it was as grassroots as you can get. It wasn't coordinated by adults. It was kids finding their own way and learning skills and trying to emulate the amazing skills and ability that we saw in some of the older kids at the same school. Um, catching up with Tony in some recent years, I think he actually never really appreciated the change that someone bringing, I suppose, uh, um, a set of skills and enthusiasm for sport in such a small, tight-knit school community could actually make. And and yeah, I discovered very early the capacity of football to keep people active and involved and yep. build friendships and yep. give people a lifelong passion that you just cannot get over. So you, you got that right from primary school. Like you, you just remember playing in the park, playing in the, playing in the school, jumpers for goalposts, which is an absolute classic, by the way. And, and that's, that's kind of like kindled your love for the game. Yeah, I developed a left and right foot uh, from <laughs> primary school in formal days and just absolutely loved every moment of football around then. Um, I was, however, in a family situation where I would have been eligible for what now we know as kid sport. So didn't ever, I suppose, get to a club environment, but played at schools from there on and um, had a championship winning team at Molly Senior High School, which was my yep. school of default. And... Um, managed to comprehensively beat pretty much every other team that we played through the state and um, that was another eye-opener around what a good team and good atmosphere and um, good culture around a group of kids not coordinated by adults could actually achieve. Oh mate we're going to go into that a little bit later on but I, I want to just understand you said you had a good left foot and a good right foot so what type of what type of player were you were you the uh, the creative number 10 the the box to box midfielder the overlapping winger what kind of player were you well that's a great question <laughs> I haven't figured that out uh, I know I started as a central defender a sweeper yeah slightly taller and stronger had a better reading of the game than most and then as time went on and gradually moved forward so uh, number 10 and then sometimes a six and eight holding the ball and just generally a creative player nice. trying not to play on the wings most games that I've played in the time since um, fairly informal a bit of futsal competition and uh, generally just work related in the past 15 years so uh, football's been an interesting and very different journey for me than most yeah yeah and and and, and last one just kind of going back and feeling that nostalgia 
which which players did you try to emulate like growing up which players did you watch and go I really want to like play like that or as you said you're, you're you're emulating you know bigger brothers and other people at the school but were there any international players any any Australian players that you were looking at going and trying to do a, um, a step over or a Stanley Matthews fate I definitely know you don't go that far back <laughs> Uh, yeah. That's all right. We're on the same page there. Uh, and actually, watching NSL, when SBS and Les Murray and the crew realized that there was some marketability and worthiness in a fairly grassroots and almost a shambles of a competition way back when, um, it just said people, it said community. It didn't have business so much behind it. It didn't have organization and structure to the extent we see nowadays. It was just something very raw and very community and cultured. Uh, Mark Viduka. Uh, wow. Melbourne was an amazing player that I got to see and realizing that this big lad was a teenager just made me think, actually, there's got to be so much other talent out there. And this kid is actually great to see. He doesn't get enough screening on television and really who knows how far he could make it in the world and he did that's sensational you were watching him at South Melbourne uh, NSL days was covered on SBS which was a fantastic thing for kids whose um, greatest uh, opportunity for interaction before the glory days was actually the television so that was something that AFL and, um, cricket and some other sports had fantastically set up for them um, soccer as it was known back then uh, <laughs> really had the, a mountain of challenges ahead them ahead of them yes okay okay well um yeah, that that's that's awesome. Like Mark Viduka, that's cool. But I, certainly, the playing side of people was not what framed my progression into football. It was actually another professional player who was an administrator after he came to Australia. Yeah, so the legendary Ron Tindall actually, who I did not know was uh, a legendary person when I first met him and started working with him. Uh, just someone with a sharp mind who cared deeply about what he did and cared deeply about football and how that impacted in the community and how clubs and uh, players were able to have their lives impacted and be able to come together and do something out of the usual um, and certainly having him as a mentor even though he didn't intend that yeah um, being in the workplace with him um, hearing him I suppose explain not just what I needed to do it as a football administrator but why we did that as well and um, some of the amazing insights that he gave was from him helping me understand why I was doing what I was doing and seeing what other people were doing and the value in it. And without that, I probably would have been lost to football within five or six years. It would have just been a um, potential progression through a different career pathway. Well, look, I, I want to I touch into that right now because I think football means a lot to a lot of people. And I think it... it you can have a wide varying range of what it means right so you mentioned earlier it's organization it's community it's something that you know you can do to connect with other people it gives you a little bit i don't want to necessarily say like purpose but i i think it gives you a little bit of structure as well and for me growing up football not only was the escape but it was like the release and the way to kind of express myself but you you hinted at the fact that you ended up being part of the administrative side and the coolest part of this is that I 
I met you through the work that you did with the Equal Footing Ball. Um, yeah. So I don't think a lot of people know about Equal Footing Ball, but can you tell us a little bit about Equal Footing Ball and then give us a... <clears throat> a a tale, a tall tale, a short tale about how you got involved with Equal Footing Ball. So Equal Footing Ball, thanks for the uh, segue there, Cal. Uh, it's I'm a, a professional at this. It's a an inclusive sports competition, and it started out from an, a very small number of people who sought to uh, bring greater level of inclusion to the world's, I think, most accessible and playable and enjoyable team sport. Uh, so for me, uh, from what I'd seen created and devised around some of the administration work that I've been doing in football, it was a no-brainer. Um, very few people know that the equal footing mobile division concept came from a sweaty, dreaming night waking up at 3 a.m. <laughs> realization that football was lacking inclusion and there were people out there who had been involved in come and try programs, people who were passionate about football, people who were attending glory and NPL matches who had disabilities, but they weren't the ones striking the ball, they weren't the ones putting on a team jersey. And I realized that there were enough people who I could probably inspire and talk to and engage to and activate to make something happen. So I, I had worked my way into a position by that stage in 2010 and developed a reputation and I was given some, I suppose, leeway by managers to yeah. actually take on a project to start something new. Uh, it was a fairly easy sell because across government, across community, at that period there was a changing perspective about the role and place of people with disabilities and certainly sport and Paralympics mm. was getting huge and there were some great people doing some fantastic things in Western Australia like David Cantoni and Chris Barty around the para football program and pathway and there was just nothing underpinning it so I saw an opportunity and uh, my brain somehow imagined competition <laughs> into reality and the rest is down to a few club committees with a bit of mm, confidence, care for community and um, just taking a bit of a risk actually because there's always a risk in trying something new yeah but um, some fearful people realized that it was actually worth it and those people dropping their fears these club committees Coburn City Soccer Club Western Knights Stuart Hill particularly is the pilot clubs actually made it happen it wasn't any one person it was a bunch of people actually realizing a common idea that equal footy mall division a modified version of the uh, 11 side game played in five-a-side six-a-side formats would actually change so many lives and impacted clubs and I think I think that's a bit that really needs to get mentioned here is like we've we've mentioned how how awesome football has been and now you're now providing football to a very marginalized community who as you said have traditionally just 
their engagement in football has been watching but now they get to like actually participate and not just participate but have friends who play with them but not just not just do that but feel the rush of scoring a goal like how how awesome has that been or, or felt or and 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 what what has been some of the stories that you've heard from people who've participated in um the equal footing ball well equal footing ball was a progression so we started off very small we had a few open days we put out to people who had participated in kind of come and try days and we made it very clear at the outset that we weren't satisfied with football as it was that as an organization football west and the clubs that we were working with weren't just going to let things sit as they were there was a determination there was a um an understanding and yeah. awareness that we had to sell to those people and without making that sell uh, it would never have gotten off the ground so the Minatillo family actually came along to the first ever come and try day uh, this is with um, Western Australian um Para player Chris Murtella, right? And Special Olympics Australia's top start, top all-time lead scorer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and multiple medalist with probably ridiculously bulging trophy cabinet. In yeah. Uh, Chris Minatola, he was there and um, definitely had two left feet when I first saw him and um, a competitive nature. So competitive, man. That you don't he see is, in the average person. He is so, and he's huge too. And when you encounter that X factor, I know there's lots of coaches who will probably be listening at some point out there. The X factor is that person with the extra bit of competition um, in their minds that want to do better than anyone else. The people have doubted them through their lives and they're happy to do everything they can to put those doubts to, to their ultimate death. Yeah. And he well and truly did that. And his parents have some amazing stories on his progression. Uh, it's been a pleasure watch him from a distance uh, seeing him progress through the powers and the Special Olympics pathways and be practically an ambassador with his family for equal footing world division did you ever dream that the equal footing ball would result in producing representatives for Australia the dream uh, was not quite there it <laughs> Uh, it was about clubs coming together and playing and pretty much what we see on Sunday mornings with junior clubs um, participating, fruit being cut, uh, coaches, team managers, everyone active and communicating, interacting on the sidelines. But we knew from the outset that if we were going to make this happen it needed to be holistic because yeah. we were retrofitting what exists as a football structure with something new. If you do the same thing as all the common try days that all the sports and all the football bodies have done previously, it would lead nowhere. So at the same time as Equal Free Mall Division started, we started the Special Olympics pathway. We strengthened the WA Para pathway with some resources. We promoted heavily amongst schools and we made sure that there was a commitment in policy and process to inclusion. 
about Football West. And it basically ticked every box all at once. Anyone who came to us and suggested that there was something we were overlooking, we had an answer straight away. Um, we also needed to compete against other sports, essentially footy, for example. Mm. Um, we managed to get a slight head start on all the other sports across the inclusion. Um, some other sports, cricket, hockey, um, basketball particularly, had um, also been talking about doing some inclusive work. So we knew if we needed to, sorry, if we were going to get somewhere um, productive, we needed to um, really cover off on all bases and make sure that we were the best option. And the people wouldn't choose anything else because there's essentially every reason to be involved. And that took not just Football West, it took the clubs, it took the families who um, made that step of um, in that's the first step into the unknown. Yeah, like you, in a situation like that, you need to not only have the idea, but you need your first followers. And the first followers are the people who back you, who believe in you, who provide that guidance, that care, sometimes resources as well. Um, so yeah, huge shout out to, to them and to the parents of Football West for getting involved in creating something like that. And I think I look at it now and I think Football Futures is kind of taking an, another step on from that. So... Yeah, to think of this as an idea that sprung up at 3 a.m. At, <laughs> at night following, I don't know what you were doing there. I don't, know what, I don't want to know what you were doing previously. Could have been a night at Hippie Bar. We've got no idea, but it ends up turning into something that's been brilliant and been like legitimately, tangibly impactful. Like, how does that, how does that make you feel thinking about the actual impact that it's had in communities and in lives? I, I suppose, get a bit of a lump in my throat when I go out each year uh, to the Equifuni Mall Division Awards Day. So I'll occasionally do a drive-by and have a look at how Equifuni Mall Division is going. I'll check out the fixtures and go and visit a competition day. Those people won't know I'm there because the last thing I want to do is detract from their experience. Absolutely. This isn't about me. It never was, never will be. But being able to go along to the awards day after seeing some participation time during the year, um, seeing people with a huge range of disabilities, physical impairment, intellectual impairment, and a combination of various uh, factors in their lives that would make an ordinary life practically impossible. But these people um, who have a culture, um, a fantastic football culture that is well beyond what you encounter um, pitch side, even for the youngest age groups where you've got teams of parents cheering on great play from the other, t from the other side. This is what happens every day, every fixture moment. And at the awards ceremony, it's kind of bringing it all together at the end of the year. So really glad that's still supported by Football West and Football Futures and um, being able to stand up and deliver some talks and kind of bringing back some of the new people to understanding what Equal Footing Mall Division is up. Yeah. As about and reconnecting with some of the um, long-standing returning I suppose annual customers almost um, is pretty meaningful uh, and uh, I'm told lots of fantastic things about me but yeah. I always take that as a reflection of what a, a group of people have put together um, that it's a, a journey rather than a person who's for a short while at the helm of a ship on a journey well look I, I, I love the equal football story there was a time in another life where I was working for Inclusion WA and trying my best to have 
young people get involved in that side. I um, the story that I always talk about, especially when it comes to casual football, and 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 our and our big sponsor, the Casual Football Co, is we were running a we were running a hub football league once, and we had some guy who called us up and said, "Look, I want to play," and yep, cool, come down, come play. We've got I really don't care. In fact, I need more numbers. So the more players that I can get, the better it is for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and he turns up. And he's he's okay. He's he's working really hard. He's a little bit shy. He's a little bit nervous. He doesn't really want to make mistakes. He keeps saying sorry, and I'm going, mate, just play. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. Just play. And then Dave Cantoni comes up to me and goes, I think that guy's got a disability. Turns out that that's Pat Amato. Mm. And all of us, all of a sudden, he gets directed um, towards para soccer he ends up representing western australia playing football and i think now he's part of the coaching staff and seeing how that all springs up and he gets to experience that community he gets to experience um being in a very competitive environment where he's not seen as a player who can't play or who's who's slow or who's or who can't move or anything like that or, or who who feels like he's otherized and seeing him in an environment where he can absolutely thrive and be a part of it and is now giving back in the same way it's just it's just a terrific story it's just a terrific feeling it's just it's so good to see and and for me that's what football and community is all about is we all get together we've got different backgrounds different ideas different lives and we're going all in one direction towards one goal and it feels terrific I think when I hear the name Patamato around football of the Kevin Bacon six stages of separation <laughs> in Western Australia so I've actually been on tour with Patamato on special he's not shy now anymore tour. is he never was <laughs> <laughs> He, I suppose, came from a very strong Italian um, traditional background. Yeah. And people were kind of in their place until they're comfortable in an environment. And um, certainly when one person sees him as a bit quiet or shy or reserved, another person in a slightly different environment where he's more confident and feels more at home. Yeah. You see him loud and bubbly. and Absolutely. So I think my best insights probably on Pat were from his family at times just saying how much football had meant to him uh, how much he aspired to become something more through football and and it's fantastic seeing that he's actually able to use some of his sports trainer skills that he's developed and he didn't start from the same place that other sports trainers no he started from I suppose well behind needed to train himself in other things and it's sheer determination and that kind of X factor that I mentioned about Christmas Attila before that um, he has a lot of as well and he's a man that's very difficult to hold back and yeah um, our WA football community should be very proud of being able to produce fantastic role models and um, future leaders like Pat well look we will uh, leave it there and make an end to part one we'll be back with part two after a short message from our sponsors Casual Football Chats is a partnership between the Perth Football Podcast and the Casual Football Company. Casual Football Company run 25 casual games a week at venues across the entire metropolitan area. Casuals lets you rock up, play 90 minutes of non-stop football for $15 reduced. There are no referees and no one keeps scores. It's not the World Cup final, which means that you can have a nice casual game with your friends, with mates or with strangers. Games are played simply for the love of the game 
all players are welcome. Check them out on Casual Football on all social media places that you can find them. They also have an app that you can get on iTunes or on Google Play Store. And remember, hashtag play because you love it and hashtag keep things casual. And we're back with part two, Kalichi Osuna with Gordon Dewis. We are here, casual football chats, brought to you by the Casual Football Company. Um, another community that would actually know you by seeing you and by hearing the name is um, the Perth African community, believe it or not. So you've been part, well, you're currently part of the Perth African Nations Perth African Nation Sports Association. Oh, I keep getting how to say that, but I'm going to have plenty of practice learning how to say that for other reasons. Um, so talk to us about that, because I remember I remember it would have been a tournament in Wanneroo that I would have also come across you um, in, in the Pan-African Cup. So talk to us about the Pan-African Cup, but also like um, how you got involved in that. Well, Cal, Pan Cup is Perth's biggest community-focused football tournament and event. So everyone who we, I suppose, talk to in the sport context will understand it's a football tournament. When you talk to someone within, embedded within the communities, African communities, it's a community event. Yeah. It's what brings people together. Football is the vehicle. It's a fantastic way of, as I said earlier, in some of the um, early interactions I had with football, some of the experiences, a great way of binding people and bringing everything together. So from being a young child, I actually had a lot of experience with people from different backgrounds and football was always something that brought people together and didn't matter what language you spoke or what your culture or religion was, it was universal. Now with Perth African Nations Cup, I was involved through my work again at Football West. Now this brought me into helping a committee of people who are fairly well-meaning but didn't know much about how to operate a constitution or bylaws or uh, grant funds or even apply for grant funds or venues. Uh, so pretty much everything was from scratch early on. Some fantastic well-meaning people who um, didn't quite have a lot of experience or the required experience to get something like that off the ground. Uh, so by happy coincidence, I managed to attend one of the early Pan Cups when there was just five teams participating yeah. uh, in the 2000s and saw what was completely unexpected. A Somalian community team took out the championship and they surrounded... Somalia! Yeah. Uh, they were very strong back then. They came out in huge numbers because of turmoil within the country and um, Australian government settlement policy among refugees from Somali background. And the Gibney Reserve venue, which a lot of us have seen, yep. was pretty much crowded out by people and the noise and buzz and atmosphere and harm was beyond that which you would encounter in a early 2000s Perth Glory game. It was intense. Yeah. And there was percussion, there was voices used as instruments. In fact, the police were phoned out, were called out to attend in Maylands because the neighbourhood had no idea what was going on. It was like there was a riot out there. Uh, 
and you can imagine what some news headlines these days would portray that. Yeah, abso that ab absolutely. Yeah. Fortunately, the police had good insight uh, and recognised straight away what was going on, the benefit of it. And from even what they told me, um, it gave me a good way of responding to people from the wider community who aren't sure how to perceive Pan Cup. So the police went up to people's doors who had phoned about the ruckus and the melee or fight or brawl or whatever it must have been on the park there. Uh, I love how people who lived next to a park were complaining about noise coming from the park. Actually, it happens a little bit. Yes. Would you <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Don't live next to a park, man. The unfortunate local victims had the police knock on their doors and the police said, we've been down to check it out and this is exactly what we want. So we recommend that you go down and check it out because this is great. Yeah. These are people who are potential risks out in the street, out in the community, but they're doing something, they're taking initiative that is absolutely fantastic and the police support it, so. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I will say this every single time. The only reason that I am still around is because I had football as a release. I grew up in a really, in a really not so nice part of New Zealand and the only reason that I kind of got away from a lot of the trouble was because between three o'clock and five o'clock I had a coach who was looking out for me. We were doing a lot of football, a lot of community work around that and the idea that you now have an avenue where particularly at-risk youth are, are getting involved, are having community uh, channeled, are focused, it's terrific. And and when you add in the other the other element of, you know, a lot of the times these are people who have been displaced. These are people who are coming in here with, with trauma. Um, not all the time, but, you know, these are people who are displaced, coming in here with trauma, who are looking for specific angles and avenues and who mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the infrastructure um, and the history to, to kind of grow. And so I remember speaking to, um, speaking to someone from a Greek background who was telling me the exact same story, was saying the only reason we made it was by the time we came all the way here there was already a Greek community that was already embedded here mm. otherwise we've got ourselves in a whole bunch of trouble but we could go down to the Greek club and play football and do a whole bunch of stuff like that so the idea that Pan Cup was able to bring that with only five teams imagine what it's doing now with 26 actually 38 <laughs> two women's that's right yeah the women's divisions as well and masters we've got juniors and we've got the senior category which has continued on in, in the most recent tournament across November and December had instead of five teams which it started with 20 and other teams that were also expressing interest in participating and 20 football teams then the families then the crowds then the juniors and masters and women's the, the engagement that that represents with a community group is amazing um, let alone the talent and oh, passion yeah. that's on display out there and it's a beast it is an absolute it's, beast yeah. because one day it can be absolutely fantastic the sun will be shining you'll have all the games going fantastically referees will be making good calls yes you heard it here ladies and gentlemen um, then there'll be other days when for example the host local government will move the goal we'll move the goalposts right. so, by seven metres so you won't actually have lines aligned to where they should be 
suddenly. Um, you'll have lights which will go out prematurely because the council have been mowed. Between different departments, <laughs> local government, for example. Um, you'll have people who want to attend a large community event, not because of football, not because of community, but because they're bored. They're looking for trouble. Yeah. Um, so you'll get a whole sem semblance of different people, um, a whole assortment, which um, will gather in one place. And uh, then it's really important that the elders and leaders from the community um, are, I suppose, mindful of the kind of messages that need to go out to the people when they're there assembled, because essentially it's only a once a year event, but it's on so many people from oh, it's, community's calendars. It's a highlight of the calendar. Yeah. And it, um, to put in perspective on the final day, it was louder than Perth Glory, well, probably as loud as Perth Glory finals, grand final wins in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, but compacted in a smaller area. It's an absolutely incredible thing. And the passion and buy-in by people is just something that you don't see much around football, so it's really something to celebrate. I want, I want to touch on a couple of things here. The first one is all of that, like, all of that, um, like chaos that you could have one time on them from a positive perspective and then chaos from a negative perspective that is the most African thing ever and I love it and it needs to be there because even the initial the original African Nations Cup has played through coups has played through sanctions has played through a whole bunch of unforeseen things and I love that that entire spirit of listen no matter what's going on, this tournament's going to happen. And you watch community leaders get involved and ensure that the, that the tournament happens. And by and large, like there was a there was another uh, World Cup tournament that happened this year that resulted in some players getting banned for life. That doesn't happen. Like like well, I've, I've I've been to Pan Cup since I got here what 2011 2013. Never seen anything like that. And the biggest memory that I have from a Pan Cup final was. I was covering it for Football West and it was the North Sudan versus South Sudan final and, yes. at, at Wanneroo and you could cut the tension with a knife but just the noise, the colours, the sound it was incredible it was absolutely incredible and I have not and I've covered MPL games here. I've covered um, FFA Cup games here. I've covered finals here. There is nothing, and I mean nothing, like a like a Pan Cup final. There is nothing like it, like a Pan Cup final here. Mm. I remember that day actually, and we had the remarkable situation, which probably needs to be documented somewhere, that it was the first ever match anywhere in the world of any sport between Sudan and South Sudan. Yeah. And yes, definitely the tension was there. Oh, it was essentially a tinderbox. You didn't know what to expect. You did it. And the vast majority of people there had grown up with everyone else, regardless of which country their original family was now from. Uh, and it's the same with certain parts of Europe as well, where uh, war, especially around the Balkans, changed the perspective of the community. The 
people who are fantastic and close friends with people who are from example for example Croatia yep as opposed to Serbia yep Bosnia Herzegovina or Albania or Macedonia or any of the other countries around there just yeah suddenly found themselves across a different line on the map and that has happened multiple times in Africa and the resilience in the local community to work through that and oh, it's not been... turn that into local hostility has been absolutely incredible and it comes from youths who don't recognize the hostilities or the uh, I suppose the cultural differences which are there yep. but don't mean that to them and they refuse to buy into that I think what people also need to understand with that with the youth particularly the young African youth here in Perth is like they may look like I look all they know is Australia. And so the the old country ideas, beefs, norms, customs, only some of that kind of like filters through. But by and large, these are Australian kids who are there playing a game against their Australian friend, so to speak. So that's a really cool, interesting thing. But look, we, we are almost running out of time here. But I did want to kind of ask two big questions. A lot of the work that you've done has been with minorities have been people who have been underrepresented um, or not necessarily had a voice themselves so what is it about you that's kind of made you go towards that direction because not a lot of people do and and there is a sense that kind of I have been doing where I've been going look I'm just going to have to do this from a holistic perspective and do it as much as I can for everybody and see who kind of fits in that umbrella but it, it almost feels like it's been a targeted approach towards saying hold on these are communities who need this the most so to speak in about 2007 we encountered on Gibney Reserve a group of recently arrived people who come to Australia as refugees from the Horn of Africa and throwing away um, end of season stock take development program balls uh, meant for the first time not putting things into the bin we saw kids out there in the park with even scrappier balls than what we were planning to get rid of so uh, my manager then Andrew Battelle said oh, we can give them some of these balls that's fine they'll help them so they gratefully accepted the balls and then we found some other equipment bibs and playing tops and we offered them as well they were graciously accepted and that fledgling group of about 11 kids and two well-meaning adults without any kind of coaching accreditation became a club and have an amazing story across representing Western Australia participants still active in Pan Cup participants who went on to be semi-pro players um, and it again reminded me of the power that football has and their story coming across to Australia some may have arrived by boat the majority of refugees actually arrive in Australia by plane and always have um, since about the 1970s but before then it was boat and my family was actually a family which arrived in Australia fleeing civil war by boat <laughs> from Denmark's war in the 1860s that's just the locals in Allenbrook can continue please Gordon so they are fleeing the civil war in Fleet's the 1860s uh, in the 1860s there was a heap of turmoil and uh, an area where my family lived became part of Germany then went back to Denmark and became part of Germany and there was 
Dane speakers, there was um, German speakers all around through the community, but there was still civil war all around and people did not trust their neighbours. It was a hostile environment that was described to me by my father and our family just threw the towel in one day and said it's not worth our lives. So many of our friends, so many of our community, our family have been slaughtered and Australia was seen then as the safe haven, which resonates obviously for a lot of people today. So they yeah. came out by boat and established themselves here. It was too good to go back or go anywhere else in the world. So New Zealand and all across Australia were settled by the Dewis family. And since then, our family's grown. We've actually got a, a Matilda who came from our family, Bryony Dewis. Wow. 46 matches for Matildas. And wow. She was in that formative period. So seeing her come through and put the family name proudly on newspaper pages um, with goals to her name as well was something that really meant a lot to me. And I'm sure that'll be the experience for many other people who've come out from Africa or other parts of the world where hostility has been a driving force for them relocating um, against their best interests sometimes. Um, and needing to make a life and a new opportunity for themselves. That's sensational. And, yeah, I think I think that kind of answers answers the second question, but I, I do want to just touch back on that. It's, it's interesting how people would perceive what a refugee looks like and feels like and not necessarily understand their history and their background. And I joke all the time that someone would see me and my Balkan girlfriend walking down the street, mm. and if I was to tell them that one of us was a refugee, they'd never pick her. <laughs> um, but look, with, with that, all that said, I suppose I will ask you a second question. For mm. anyone who is looking to get involved um, in the community, in Pan Cup, in Equal Footing Ball, or, or doing a little bit more, what advice do you have for them, or, or do you have any directions that you can kind of point them towards great point there Kel my lesson in football is that if something's not there if it's not available for you don't accept that do something about it yourself figure out who to talk to and make sure you make a noise otherwise something won't be done about it and anyone in clubland will know that unless you make a noise it's not going to change and so my role was listening I had an open ear all the time and I understood what was out there as an administrator, I was in a fortunate position to be someone who could actually make positive change, but it wasn't down to me, it was down to other people expressing what they wanted and needed and showing to me, and having that confidence to come forward and saying, this is what's going wrong, what can you do? And make it happen, essentially. Don't wait for it, make the change. Make it happen, don't wait for it, make the change. Gordon Dawes, thank you so very much. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that has been another episode of the Perth Oil Podcast, Casual Football Chats and Casual Football Conversations. I'm Khalid Shirasunwa, and remember, be careful and be kind while we still can. 